Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation 19. And the last time, the message was titled, It Gets Better From Here. And the reason why I titled it that, because prior to last Sunday, we went through four Sundays of Revelation 17 and 18, which describe uh, a future scenario in the earth's history. So for us, history is something that happened, it passed, we can look back to God, he sees everything, he knows the future. So when I say future history, it sounds like an oxymoron, um, but God knows these things. He wanted us to know the future. You know, people think revelation is so mysterious, but the fact is that God wants us to know these events. So part of the encouragement, because today the message is titled the second coming of Christ. Part of the encouragement is the fact that I talked about when Jesus was with his disciples and he instituted communion. And a lot of denominations, for some reason, don't teach this. They teach the somber part of the taking of the elements, but they don't mention the rest of what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. He said, I believe it was in John 14, that he wouldn't leave us orphans, that if he leaves, he's going to come back for us. He also spoke about drinking the fruit of the vine again in the kingdom with his followers. Uh, So communion is somber because our Lord went to the cross to die for our sins. But he did rise again. He did ascend into heaven. And he said he's coming again. So that's very crucial to what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I know that there's a lot of Christians who just have a, and it's, it's understandable, they have a difficulty with the second coming of Christ and the rapture or the harpazo of the church. Some think it's both as one, one event, which it's not, Others read different scriptures in Matthew 24, etc., and they get it's a little confusing to them. That's okay. I'm going to use a lot of visual aids to really make sense of this whole situation with the second coming, and we're going to see this in four parts. So we're going to start in verse 11 through 16, take a chunk of it. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. So you see the clues here. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty god and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords so one out of four is the second coming of christ the second coming of christ now i'm gonna go through three old testament scriptures and you're almost gonna think it's the new testament because it describes the coming of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. It's, it's like this puzzle, like a thousand, I don't have a whole lot of 
patience for these thousand piece jigsaw puzzles, but I know people who do. And the more pieces you put together, you can start to see the image. So we're going to jump in and read Zechariah 14 in the Old Testament, three through four. And he says, Fourteen, right? Three through four. He says, then the Lord. Now, remember, the the Old Testament Jews, if you read rabbinical writings and they're available, a lot of synagogues have them. um, They the Old Testament Jews, when they read the scripture, the rabbis would translate them. Well, they knew Hebrew. They could read, write and speak it. But they would also label them as messianic, which means Even in the Old Testament, the the rabbis knew that this was the coming of the Messiah, the Mashiach. So let me read this to you. It says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, half of it toward the south. Jump into Isaiah, and then we'll start putting everything together. Isaiah 63, 1 through 4. Who is this who comes from Edom, which is modern-day Jordan? Petra, the rock city, Basra. We covered a lot of this. Um, When the Jerusalem has fallen many times to Gentile forces, if you look at history, um, the most recent time would be the Roman occupation of uh, Roman-Jewish War of A.D. 66 to 70. So Jerusalem, before that, had fallen again, had fallen again. This has happened many a times. Jerusalem will fall again, the Bible says, okay, in the earth's future, a future time from now. Not hard to understand. But he says in 63, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments? What are they dyed with? From Basra or Petra, the one who is glorious in apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I speak in righteousness mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, you would see conversations. You just have to pick up that one person is speaking and then the other person is answering. So the Messiah, the Mashiach, the the, the lion says, I have trodden the winepress alone. That's key. And from the peoples, no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger, trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled on my garments, and I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. Now, remember, this hasn't happened yet. If you look at all of earth history, all of church history, all of Israel's history, it's not happened yet. The Messiah also has to trample the wine press alone in the second coming. Very interesting, because he also trampled it alone in the first coming. Jesus sat with his disciples. He wanted them to pray with him, but he didn't want them to pick 12 crosses and be crucified alongside of him. It would have accomplished nothing. Jesus had to go to the cross alone, because he was the only one who could die for our sins. So that's the spiritual, our soul redemption. The second time he comes, it'll be a physical redemption of the rest of creation and the world. Interesting, isn't it? You can see a lot of parallels. You can see a lot of layers. You can see a lot of themes that continue to recur. One more I want to read to you, and we'll go into the visual aids. Is 64, Isaiah 64, 1 through 2. 
and it was two years ago I, I taught the book of Isaiah. Oh, that you would rend, that you would tear open the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil to make your to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Again, has not happened yet. This is the second coming. Pretty cool stuff. And the reason why I'm putting so much, well, I used to be an investigator for 25 years, but I do my homework, right? I put it all together because some people, I, I went, in my 20s, you know, teens and 20s, I was part of a denomination, but I never read the Bible. So it was a learning curve for me. When I first came to a Calvary chapel, I'm like, wow. Catholic, the Catholics accept this. The Protestants accept this. It's the same Bible. Why didn't anybody teach this to me? So it took a while for me to gather an understanding when you take all 66 books together and, and make a, something intelligible out of it, or you, you see the plan out of it. Of course, it's intelligible. It comes from God. Okay, so the map. Let's start with the map. Uh, basically, there's a few things going on. Now, we're going to talk the next few verses about the Battle of Armageddon. So you see Megiddo over here? Armageddon is a transliterated word. It's the, there's a valley of Megiddo. There's also a tell in, in Megiddo. And actually, was it was in 1918, the Allies, I think, battled the Turks in this valley. This is a place where many battles have taken place. Isn't it amazing how God's truths, it, it, it's not hard for us to believe this stuff because it just keeps happening. So in 1918, there was a major decisive battle in World War, 17 or 18, the end of World War I, right in this area. It's this area that armies can face off and, you know, grunt, we're going to take you, and no, we're going to take you, and they go and they do battle. So it's happened many a times, and it's going to happen one more time, and we'll talk about that. So you see this line here. This is Basra. This is Edom. Basra's over here. Petra, the rock city, is in here. So this future time, you can already see, and it's sad, because we support Israel. We support the Jewish people. But you can already see an anti-Semitism in Europe starting to happen in the United States. There was a lot of Jewish people and a lot of synagogues that were attacked last year. You just don't see it in the media that much. A lot of negative things from leaders said against the Jewish people. So this anti-Semitism is rising, unfortunately. You even have people in this country that might be from a Jewish background that have no concern for Israel, which is where everything started. So you see, you're seeing in this administration, I'm just putting it all together, that there's a distancing of the Western world when we used to support Israel. There's a distancing from Israel. That's problematic because that will keep that will all the vultures and sharks in the surrounding areas will attack when they don't think that the Western world has Israel's back. And you can do this research. It's very simple. So here's Jerusalem. In this future battle, Jerusalem will be taken again. Uh, the Jewish people will flee to a friendly nation. Look up Jordan and Jordan's history. I have a friend who was in the military and served in Jordan. He knows all about Jordan. He goes, oh, you're absolutely right, pastor. You've done your homework. Um, so this is a future battle. So the Messiah, when the Lord returns, he will do battle here. He will do battle here and he will do battle here. And it's, it's kind of funny because it's a perfectly straight line. Did God do that on purpose? I don't know. Some things I do know, and there's a lot of things I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, what was the next thing? Okay. Before we get to the chart, 
Let's go to the timeline again, because this confuses a lot of people. If you look at the, the first coming of Christ, right? It's right here. It was predicted. It was prophesied some 2,000 years ago, give or take a few years. And there's a second coming of Christ, right? When Jesus instituted communion, I covered the scriptures where he talks about his return. So he touches down to the earth once, and he does it a second time in our future. And something in the middle happens right around here. We're here, by the way. So if you were in a mall, you know, it says you are here. You walk into the mall. You don't know where the heck you are. I hate malls. Um, But there's a big star, and it says you are here. So for the sake of time, 2021, we are here. So the rapture has to come at some point, and then the second coming. All right, let me go to the chart now, because I really want to solidify, and there's a lot of confusion and misconception of the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming. So remember, Jesus comes to the earth in the form of a a baby in the womb, right? Um, He has to redeem us spiritually. Uh, You know, he has to die for our sins. So that's why he comes to the earth. He's told his followers, I'm going to come to the earth again. He comes a second time. Hasn't happened yet. Well, now he has to redeem the earth physically, the physical creation, set up his millennial kingdom, which is going to be an awesome time, by the way, um, based on what the scripture says. However, not everyone's going to be thrilled that he returns. Could you imagine the, I talked to you about the globalist, what I call them oligarchical billionaires, that pretty much run the United States, Europe, and many other countries. They become more powerful than any individual government. Do you think that the secular humanists that pretty much run the world are going to be happy with the Lord's return? They're certainly not. And they are going to try to turn on him, but it's going to be a short battle, as you could imagine. Somewhere in between there is what's the rapture of the church, which means the Lord calls his people. If you're in Christ, you're protected. He calls us home. We go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We, called, we talked about this last Sunday. And then the, this last seven-year period of Daniel 9 takes place. So we're not here for that, which is pretty awesome. However, there are some distinct differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming. So let's go to the the chart now. The rapture, it happens first. It's the next thing to happen. When it happens, I don't know. Could be tonight, could be next year, could be 10 years. I have no idea. The Lord hasn't tipped off anybody. And he said we wouldn't know. So the rapture happens first. The second coming happens after the rapture and after the seven-year tribulation period or the last seven-year period of Daniel 9. The rapture, scriptures, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, we covered last Sunday. Second coming, basically Revelation 19. And when you read both of them, you could see that it's obvious that they're two distinct events. Daniel chapter 9 also touches on Matthew 24. There's other supporting scripture. The rapture. Jesus never touches the earth. He calls his church up and they meet him in the clouds of the air. Pretty neat stuff. Second coming, he touches the earth, right? We just read that. Um, The rapture, believers meet the Lord Jesus in the air. And in the second coming, um, the Lord Jesus uh, doesn't meet believers or following him back down to earth because they were already up in heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb which is a great feast for those of you that don't know. Uh, The rapture, we don't know when it occurs. It's unexpected. Now, I can tell you that a lot of odd ministries, false teachings, cults, 
you've seen it. <laughs> if, you, if you're not even sold on this whole Christianity thing and you're a seeker, you've heard people predict the end of the world. It's weird because Jesus told us not to do that. You're not going to know. You just do what I ask you to do, and when it, when I, when it comes, it comes. It'll be a surprise. Um, we talked about the Jewish wedding um, you know, feast and how the, the groom comes for the bride, and we made some parallels there. So it's unexpected. So if anybody tells you the end of the world is coming at a certain date, leave that church fast. Get up pretending you're going to the bathroom and just get the heck out of there, okay? Because it's weird. God knows what else they're going to do if they're wrong on that one. Um, some of you have friends that are, have been predicting the end of the world too. Uh, so the second coming, that can be calculated based on the seven-year tribulation period. So one can be calculated, one can't. When the rapture comes... Unfortunately, those that are left behind, when they come to Christ, can actually start counting down based on world events when the Lord is going to return. No surprise there, and there's a reason for that. Okay, rapture. He brings saints from earth to heaven, marriage supper of the Lamb. Second coming, the saints are following him from heaven to the final war on earth. Hopefully that clears up a lot of misconceptions, because if you try to make the two one event, you're going to try to twist scripture and make it fit and put a square peg in a round hole, and it's not going to fit. Remember this, Jesus came the first time as the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The second time he's going to come as the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But we have nothing to fear. He's a warrior, but he's our daddy. The world that's in rebellion against him is going to have a concern. Okay, let's go to the scripture. Okay, so two added to his description of the Lord's return. He's on a white horse. Remember I said that if you... If you make major mistakes in interpreting Revelation in the beginning, by the time you get to these chapters, it's going to be a disaster. Right. So, so basically, we have to interpret uh, Revelation the way God has pretty much spelled it out. Some people see Revelation 6, right? The four, the five horses of the apocalypse, because there's two at the end. The paintings are off. Um, <laughs> And the first white horse is kind of sickly and ghastly, and he's got a bow but no arrows, and we covered this. That's the Antichrist. That's not Jesus. People make the mistake of thinking that's Jesus, and it's not. So um, there are very popular Bible teachers who have a theological bend who teach Revelation wrong. And I can tell you John Piper, who studied the Bible for years, go on his website he can't finish Revelation. He's only taught two or three chapters, but he's taught every single book in the Bible because there's a Calvinist bend to it, and there's a lot of things that throw off the whole interpretation. We have to look at this objectively, okay? Uh, so the diademos, uh, which is the crowns that Jesus is wearing, this is Jesus in Revelation 19. Diademos in the Greek is a, it's a monarchly crown. The Stephanos is what the Antichrist is wearing in Revelation 6. It's a, it's a subpar crown. Um, and here we see the Lord Jesus has multiple crowns. We're building a case here. Faithful and true is on the horse. Jesus is called a lot of things. Lion of the tribe of Ju Judah, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Um, he is faithful and true. Now, this is important because the world during this time when Jesus returns is just in, it's just a terrible place to live because secular humanism is bad now, but it's, it, at, at this point, it's taken over the whole world. So the Antichrist is a liar. He's a deceiver. 
Jesus comes down and it's a breath of fresh air spiritually because he's the truth. He's faithful and true. Folks, these are the immutable characteristics of God that we have to hold on to in these times. And I get a lot of texts and phone calls and people stopping into the church and they see what's going on in the news in the world and they're just depressed. They're just saddened. Um, these are the things we have to hold on to because the Lord's coming back. He came the first time, didn't he? He always fulfills his promises. And when he comes back and sets up this glorious kingdom, thank God no more politicians, no more elections. The Lord's got it wired and everyone's going to be happy about it. So I've been witnessing to one of my friends on Facebook and I told him, bro, when the new king comes, no more Republicans and Democrats. You're going to love the new king, right? Amen. Wow. That's pretty awesome. I guess a bunch of you are sick of what you're seeing on TV every day. So basically, um, you know, in righteousness, it says he judges and makes war. Now, no nation can say this today because of biases, not even the United States, right? Our generals, our leaders, they all have, a, they have biases. Some people are making a fortune over fo foreign wars. So can we really say if we go to war that, you know, there's, there's almost, there's always the propaganda machine. Well, we have to go here and this is the reason. But the truth is that only Christ can judge and make war because he has no biases. He's perfect. He's God. He's God the Son. D, his eyes were like flames of fire. Remember, we saw this in Revelation 1 when we were interpreting, who is that? That's Christ. Now, the flames of fire, fire is a symbol of judgment. He's coming the second time as the lion. He's coming in judgment. Listen, a lot of things that we deal with, and, and I love to, I have to step back when I read the Bible and not look at this in Americentric eyes um, or in Europe, Eurocentric eyes or, you know, wherever you come from. Every preacher has to read the scripture and step back out of his own country and look at this in a big picture. None of this stuff has to do with the United States. The world is a big place. We're only a small part of the world. So in America, we're triggered by everything. Everything offends us and bothers us, and judgment bothers us. A lot of churches are moving away from sin and the cross and, you know, Jesus dying for our sins and hell and judgment because the culture is offended by it. But we're not doing that here. We're going to teach the truth, okay? And I submit to you that in America, where a lot of things are easy— but we still whine about stuff that in a lot of other countries like North Korea, China, some regions in Africa and Asia, they're suffering. So to them, this is good news because they're, a lot of their leaders, ours, a lot of ours are corrupt, but a, a lot of theirs are sadistic. And people say, why is there poverty in the world? Why is there? I can imagine Jesus saying that back to us. I gave you this world. Why is there poverty? Why is there human trafficking? Jesus is going to hold our leaders accountable for how they ran this world because he gave us the resources to make it effective. So a lot of people throw all these things, these snippy things out at God. He's going to show you what the truth is. Um, so I, I would say to you that it's a perspective. If you live in some of these oppressed areas of the world where slavery still exists, they will say we welcome the Lord's judgment because we know he's going to be fair with us, more fair than our leaders ever were. So we continue. On his head were many, again, the diademos versus the Stephanus. Um, the last time the Apostle John saw Jesus before this revelation, this apocalypsis, he was wearing a crown of thorns. 
crown of thorns no more. The second time he's going to be wearing multiple diademas, diadems, multiple crowns of a king. He's the ultimate potentate. Uh, So we continue in E. No one knew the name except himself. Some speculate that this mysterious name was Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, which was when Moses uh, asked God, you want to send me to deliver the children of Israel? Who do I say sent me? This was new for Moses. And he responded to Moses, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh in Hebrew. I always was, I will always be, I am the eternal one. So God doesn't really have a name like Fred or John, but God's title is a, it's a statement. Just he's God, right? So nobody knows this mysterious name. Some people speculate, but we do know that it also says his name is the word of God. And John 1, 1 tells us that in the New Testament. He's the word. He's the Lagos. Everything Jesus said was the same thing that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit had already agreed to. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. F, robe dipped in blood. We're going to talk about the wine press and the trampling of the wine press. And that's a metaphor for war. Now, some teachers say, well, when Jesus comes back, that's his blood on the robe. That's problematic because in the second coming, he comes for war. And the blood, Revelation 14.20, is not his own blood at this time. Jesus shed his blood the first time. He's not shedding it again. He already died for our sins. There's no need to repeat that incredible sacrifice. We just have to receive it. Now, just to give you uh, another, and, you know, I kind of studied Middle Eastern culture and Jewish culture because Jesus would take these things that were like, what's a wine press? You know what I'm saying? Um, And they actually still have wine presses. Um, And and my ancestors in some countries, they trample the grapes with their feet and they make wine. I don't know if I would drink that wine, maybe the bottom of the feet, make it taste better. I'm really not sure. But I would tell you that in Jewish culture, they had a wine press. And they had this sort of a circular vat with a circular cover. And it had a a rod through the center of it that was, uh, it was like a screw. And they would take the handle and turn it and turn it. And some of them were very big and it would squash the grapes. And it looked like a bloody mess when they were done, especially if they were red grapes. Um, Then they would take the juice and make wine and juice and whatever else they made out of it. So trampling the wine press was sadly enough. When this last battle happens, it's going to be a bloody battle. Everyone could lay down their arms, but unfortunately, they're not going to. Somehow, they're going to think that they can win against the Lord. Okay, so where are we? Armies in heaven. Gee, some people think this is the angelic army, which I'm sure they're along for the ride. But in Jude 1, 14 through 15, this also refers to the saints. Remember, those of us that trusted in Christ, when the rapture comes, we're having this great feast in heaven while that last seven-year period is happening on earth. And it says the armies follow him down to the earth. So, yeah, there'll be an angelic army, but there'll also be saints. And I don't think the Lord needs any of our help, by the way. Just like he didn't need our help the first time, he's not going to need our help the second time, but it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Now, remember, the saints will populate the earth in the millennium. Folks, And again, you probably say, why did he say that? I mix in apologetics with my messages because I know I have some skeptics. And my question is, you know, our sun, I talked about the type of star it is. It's not the most vibrant. It's not a white or a blue. Um, It's eventually going to run out. And even before it runs out, there's only so much energy. When it hits a certain point, it won't be able to support photosynthesis on the earth or give heat to the earth. So if you think the windmills freezing in Texas was bad, when this 
point in time happens, it's inevitable, right? Um, entropy, there will be life will cease in the solar system, in this solar system. So you have people that don't believe in God who are constantly saying, we need to fly to another solar system. We've got to populate Mars. We've got to populate this place. You can hop to all the planets you want, but eventually, according to entropy, right, um, this, the whole galaxy will eventually, the way I think it's the second law of thermo, thermodynamics, everything will have a uniform temperature, hot bodies, ex, uh, heat escapes from hot body to cold body. Uh, one's hot, one's cold, both become warm, and then everything starts to die a heat death, right? I have a wood-burning stove. I see this all the time. So that's a great wood-burning stove. Always chopping wood. It has nothing to do with the message, though. I don't even know where I went. Okay. So basically, whether you're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament, the Lord God says, humans, I created you. I gave you a perfect planet. Because of sin, you ruined it. I'm going to give you another chance. I redeemed your souls. I'm going to recreate the earth. So in God's final kingdom, there will be no end. However, today, you're a scientist, a physicist, a astronomer, whatever you are, you know that this will not last for eternity, but God's kingdom will. So it makes perfect sense that eventually he's going to interrupt human history again, and his kingdom will have no end. It's just common. It's logic, right? So we continue. Clothed in fine win- uh, H. The armies will be clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We covered this. Um, this we, and again, a lot of these things, they all connect Uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 8 of Revelation, uh, you know, in this chapter, we talked about that. What the fine linen, the white, uh, the purification, everybody gets the same garment, what it means. He has a sharp sword that goes out of his mouth. Some see this as the word of God, Hebrews 4.12. The word of God, we know, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. So one is a spiritual thing that God's word does. One is actually a physical thing. Fascinating. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So does Jesus actually need a sword? Of course not. Of course not. We read about the, uh, I'll find it, 11, Isaiah eleven fourteen. he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. So uh, in Genesis 1, what did God say? Let there be light. And there was light. I, I tinker in my garage. I have a workbench and all these neat tools. I just like to tinker. My wife has always given me something broken. Can you fix this? Sure, babe. Sometimes I say, oh, I don't think I can. She goes, no, I know you can. Oh, man. I got to not let on how good I am at fixing stuff. But so um, I have a workbench. I need my eyes, my brain, my arms, my fingers, my hands to do the job right. God doesn't need hands and arms and a brain. He is spirit, right? So when in Genesis, when he set everything in motion, he spoke it into existence. That's power. <laughs> That's pretty neat stuff. So, and again, people debate, well, it's a literal rod that comes out of his mouth. Whatever. It's a literal rod. It's a figurative rod. As he spoke everything to existence, he can vanquish the armies of the Antichrist. Or, for those of you that are not buying that, the great globalist leader who we're setting up the platforms in the United States and the Western world for him to take his seat. Right? Look at globalisms everywhere. Globalism, globalism. Every time you turn on the TV, every corporation, medical stuff, uh, 
the World Economic Forum, uh, the global monetization, what they want to do, one world currency. They're saying this stuff to you. And these people are very powerful. They do have influence. So, so that's what's going to happen. So he's going to come back. The sword's going to come out of his mouth. Um, you know, he rules with a rod of iron. He deposes all rulers, elected official, officials. And I'm going to read to you Psalm 2. Let's jump there. That's going to be our last alternate scripture for the morning. In Psalm 2, again, this is way, way back in the Old Testament, which was a prophecy of world leaders, the, all the worlds against God. Now, this is after the Genesis Tower of Babel. This has not happened yet. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Useless, foolish it's not going to have the event that they're looking for. The kings of the earth, the monarchs, the presidents, the rulers, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Isn't it an amazing thing that when you look at some of these uh, very powerful people in the world, they like the creation, they like the climate, they like the sun, they like the planet, they like growing their little gardens and having their little mansions. Some of them are bigger mansions, but they don't want the standards that God has set up. Let us break the cord. So basically the human race is saying, God, we like the planet, but could you just get lost? We, we don't want your influence. Okay. So this is amazing. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the, in the heavens shall laugh. Like, are you kidding? The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, Jerusalem. So father, God, the father, God, the son, God, the son is the one who's going to rule from Jerusalem. He's, he has his own king. He doesn't want the world's kings. They've all been corrupted. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you or established. Some people get tripped up on that word. Ask of me, I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, respect, right? And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, an act of homage lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Folks, this is not hard. Um, we as, as human beings, we see this all throughout the scripture, we're stubborn. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. My wife will second that I'm stubborn. So we're stubborn. And I resisted the Lord for years. I wanted to stay in my religion because not much was asked of me. But the Lord wanted a relationship with me. And I pushed him away for years. And eventually, I gave in. But it's, I should have done it sooner. Um, I wouldn't have made so many mistakes in life, including just a lot of mistakes. But So the point is that at any point today, nobody has to go through this. I always want to stop and say, no one has to go through this. You, today you can give your heart to the Lord Jesus. Guess what? You're now on his side. He's the warrior father. You're on his side. You don't get touched by any of this stuff. But some of us still choose to be stubborn. I just want to stay where I am. My, uh, a relationship with, with the Lord. And again, that was me. Um, sounds complicated. I'm so busy. I don't know if I have the time to pray. Or Come on. We have the time to do so many things that have no eternal implications. So continuing on. <clears throat> 
Um, in the millennial kingdom, I like to say this, when the Lord sets up his kingdom, you know, I, I, I wouldn't get into politics. They probably read some of my messages and say all kinds of stuff about me. But when the Lord comes, and you, I've shared this with you before, all I'm asking, I don't care if I'm a mayor or something small, just somewhere in the Mediterranean. I've never been there. It looks beautiful. It's just my kind of weather. It's just he doesn't have to honor that, but I just, that's just what I kind of put up there. So I believe that he will use his saints to populate different provinces and districts, right? When the Lord rules from Jerusalem. Makes perfect sense. It's going to be a cool time. Okay, he's treading the wine press. Again, we keep seeing this. The wine press, the wine press. And L, on his thigh, written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That has to be, and only he can have that. That has to be the coolest tattoo ever. And if, I don't know if it glows. I don't know if it's, it's blinding light. King of kings and Lord of lords. So what the Lord is trying to say here is that, is that people respect those in authority, kings and presidents and such. But every person is a sinner. Even someone who's a, a ruler who is a Christian still sins, still can get caught up in things they shouldn't. Look at what happened with David. He, was a, he had a heart for the Lord. He messed up so many times. But when the Lord comes, he's like, I'm the ultimate potentate. It's it. I'm going to run it, and it's going to be my ideas, and it's going to be, you know, one of the things he's going to do is um, stop all the wars, and the animal kingdom will be at peace with each other and, and, the, and the human race. That's going to be cool. Imagine petting a, a black panther. I mean, they're so gorgeous, their eyes and their coats. So I'm into that stuff, too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So a lot of really neat things. But folks, as our world gets worse and worse, this is, this is comforting. Last few verses. So this is the tough part we have to get through. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast... Right, this global leader, the king of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, we talked about him before, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped this image. These two were cast alive, that's important, I'm going to get back to that, into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So the battle of Armageddon, three out of three. Um, I showed you the three places with the map. Uh, when the Lord comes, you know, the, again, this is our future. Israel is starting to panic a little bit um, with good reason. We're back in the Iran deal. That's concerning to Israel. Um, we had seen that Israel over the last few years had made peace with many of the countries on the Arabian Peninsula and the um, Eastern Africa, African region. So Israel was making peace with largely Muslim nations. Very powerful stuff. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39, and you can see the power that lines up. And I went through this with the map. I showed you the Sunni versus Shiite and the difference in their philosophy and how Israel moved with one of the two factions. Well, there's three or four factions, but two more dominant ones. 
So, um, so this is concerning. If Iran is, you know, again, um, was it is it Michael Blinken, one of uh, Biden's uh, people, that said that uh, in the next few weeks that Iran will probably have a nuke? Okay, so what does the world do about that? Because Iran has stated they want to blow Israel off the face of the, the map. I could tell you the Mossad and the intelligence agencies of Israel have already assassinated some of the Iranian scientists in Tehran. These people are sharp, how they're able to get in there and do this um, and then get out. So there is going to be, you keep your eyes on the Middle East, because when all this stuff happens, it doesn't happen in the United States. It happens over there. I have a theory. The United States is not prominent in the Battle of Armageddon in the last wars. I think we're so foolish in this country that we're eating ourselves. There's so much division in this country, and it's so foolish. Um, and I'm hoping that for revival, I'm praying, I'm hoping the church can influence their communities and people could see, you know, we can be different and get along and actually like each other and work together. So um, there's a lot of theories of why the United States isn't prominent in this last battle. But if you take a look at our country, you got 50% of the population deadlocked against the other 50% and vice versa. And, and you know what? There's extremists on both sides. So... I have my theories, but I can tell you that there's going to be some big things happening overseas. Russia's involved, Syria's involved, Iran, you know, so we'll, we'll, see, what, we'll see what the Lord does. But hopefully he just comes in and stops it before it gets too crazy. Okay, let's look at the angel standing in the sun. Obviously, uh, no creation today could do that. The creation of the angelic world are impervious to heat. Um, if you... You, we couldn't get close, too close to the sun. Um, you put a, a, a mountain, a piece of iron, uh, rocks, the sun will just melt it. That's how powerful our sun is. And we talked about the sun before and the nuclear reactions that take place inside of the core. Uh, so let's look at this, these last few verses. A, the angel is addressing the birds. Dinner is served, so to speak. Um, it, to me, this reminds me of like, was there a movie, The Birds, for Alfred Hitchcock? The birds were all over the place. So, so the angel is calling the birds to this battle. And it's, it's not pretty. It's not pleasant. Um, many species of, of birds eat nuts and seeds, but they also eat insects. Um, a lot of birds are omnivores. Some of them feed on, on flesh, uh, on meat. There was a, a fish called, actually, I, I, my wife and I watched, I love watching nature stuff, the Paku fish. Anybody familiar with the Paku fish? Wow, like one or two people, that is awesome. So the Paku fish are mostly in uh, the South America uh, area in certain environments, and if you, they're kind of creepy. They're this, they can get this big, and they open their mouth, and they look like human teeth. So the Paku fish, a lot of fish too, they're omnivores. They can eat both. Paku fish in certain regions have bit humans, tasted uh, blood and human flesh, and have become mostly meat eaters. They've adapted to their environment. And now the locals have trouble bathing and doing certain things because these fish will just come up to them and start biting them. It's kind of, and they said it feels like a human is biting them. Unless you've been bitten by a human, I'm not sure how that feels. But, but the point is <laughs> that like people say, oh, the Bible, it's, it's allegoric, it's symbolic. No, it's not, because if you actually study nature, you can find that these things can actually happen. So the birds are summoned, um, and they're going to feast on all this flesh. The supper of the great God, uh, eat or be eaten. We can either eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're enjoying a meal with the Lord, um, if we continue to rebel against the Lord, well, we could be one of those people that are eaten. 
if we're in the army of the global leader. And that's, again, for the rebellious hardened hearts, right? That's why we need to witness to people, tell them about Jesus, get them over the line, get them to, the, to safety, right? But they've got to trust the Lord on their own. We can't will it. We can't make it happen for them. They have to want it. Uh, C, flesh is used four times, flesh, flesh, flesh. Uh, Genesis 6, 3, when God saw the sin of the world, of course, he knew this, but he makes a comment in Genesis 6, 6, 3. God says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. So his years were cut to 120. When you look at Noah and you look at all these people, pre-Diluvian, they lived a much longer lifespan. The Lord cut the lifespan short. Uh, as part of the ramifications for sin, just pretty much infecting the whole world. Now, what's interesting, because Christ, Christ didn't work, God the Son doesn't work against God the Father, but the plan was, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was, wow, there's a human race that they keep multiplying and they keep dying, and they're dying in sin. So we need to devise a plan to save them. Right? God could have wiped everybody out and started all over again with a great conflagration, redid everything. But what he did was he sent his son to die for our sins, past, present, and future. Even people in the past. Um, Romans 4 talks about those pre-Christ and how they get to be saved. Pretty fascinating, Abraham and others. So there is a problem, sin. It infects everything we do, even Christians and churches. Um, if we allow the flesh part of us to get the better of us, it's like a it's like a beast that can't be satiated. It's always devouring, devouring. And some Christians sadly have um, sat in a pile of ashes figuratively because of choices they made because they let their flesh get the better of them. And I don't say that to be mean. I say it sadly. So Christ is the answer. Christ gave us the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul tells us we can follow our spirit or we can follow our flesh. And every day we make those decisions. Every second of every day, the human brain works so fast, even in our minds and what we devise in our lives and how we justify things. Thankfully for the Lord Jesus. Doesn't have to get here for anybody. The Antichrist could say, okay, armies, and nobody shows up. They could all come and they could all do the right thing and he's got nobody to fight the Lord with. Could happen, but unfortunately it won't. D, they gather together to make war on him who sat on the throne. And you might say, well, how could an army of people on the planet really think that they could beat God? How could they do that? Well, Hitler said of his sixth army that went into uh, Russia that the sixth army could storm the gates of heaven. Oh, he just signed a death sentence on his army. And then they were destroyed by the pincer movement of the Russians, right? Um, so people get very uh, arrogant about their power, their abilities, uh, their firepower, um, not realizing that really it's God who decides who wins and who loses. Remember, too, that, that much of the culture thinks that this Antichrist, this guy, this globalist leader who's a good orator, he's articulate, he has a silver tongue, that they think he's practically a God. And he will ask for human worship, and he will get that worship. He'll set himself up in, in the Holy of Holies, in the rebuilt temple. We went through all this. I would say this, too, that... We're seeing even in our country uh, a society and a culture that's starting to turn on Christians and Jews. For what reason? It's definitely spiritual. I gave you Bill Maher's quote. There's some very famous people who have made very derogatory qu quotes about Christians. 
okay, um, during the COVID lockdowns. <laughs> we want to forget 2020, but I did pay attention to the mayors and the governors and the, the, the petty tyrants who were running parts of our uh, country and the um, insensitive, insolent, and demeaning things they said about Jews and Christians because they wanted us to shut our churches. And they said, you know, we deal in science. You're dealing in, you know, of, of, of make-believe. These were quotes. These were literal quotes that I've quoted. But unfortunately, the science is the bouncing ball. You have to keep following it. What, what, what was good six months ago just changed, and some of you are laughing. I follow a lot of this stuff. Oh, this is okay now? Well, there was blasphemy two months ago, but science, right? The only one who really knows science is God. It's for us to figure things out. He has it all wired. He understands every virus, bacteria, uh, DNA, cancer. He, he understands all that. And we're still learning on this planet. So, you know, there's even websites now that target the youth, try to get to pull them away from their faith that they grew up with, that they ask these, anybody can throw a one-sided argument. I could do that. Like I talked about Bill Maher. He attacked Christians in their belief systems. But what he said was incredibly foolish because if you, if you actually listen to what he says and you look it up and we know what book he was referring to, he's never read the book. He said something that wasn't true. So you can throw all the one-sided arguments you want against Christianity until somebody says, whoa, 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 I'll debate you on that one. And then they start to look foolish and their arguments fall apart. Anybody can attack anything in any one side without a polemic, without somebody pushing back. It's all, it's all uh, debating skills. Worship of the planet creation, Romans 1, but hatred for the creator of the planet. Why? Because he has expectations. There's a lot of things we're doing on this planet he does not like. Um, I'll just leave you with this because we're just about wrapping it up. Revelation 16, I, I showed you the map of the Euphrates dried up. I showed you, uh, and it's only been around for two decades, the Asian cooperative dialogue that has Russia, China, and Iran all in agreement. They do war games together. You're seeing them in the news a lot. Um, they're going to be main players in this battle. Israel is going to be a main player. So you're going to see this, this balance, and then the Lord returns and he, before it gets out of control because technically we have enough uh, nuclear weapons if all the countries were to just start firing them off to just completely destroy the planet. So I don't believe God's going to allow that to happen. Um, Ezekiel 38 and 39 shows this massive battle. Just like I don't believe, well, very strongly, I don't believe the rapture and the second coming are the same event. I also don't believe the battle of Armageddon and the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle are the same event. Those are from my Bible students. We can talk about that afterwards. There's too many inconsistencies. So it's a separate battle. And then E, the last part, the, the beast or the antichrist or the global fascist who's coming the, and the false prophet who's the ecumenical leader, leader who's also going to take his side and get all the spiritual people on board, right, to follow this fascist uh, dictatorship and say to the people of faith, oh, no, this is fine. We see false teachers all the time. All you got to do is, is, I don't recommend it, is go on the Internet and look up, you know, even some sermons. And some of the wacky things people say in the name of God, they're totally off the wall. Deception. We see deception today. Last thing I want to leave with you is that they were cast alive in the lake of fire. And I think sometimes for people it's wishful thinking, even for theology students who don't believe that hell lasts forever. They don't believe, you know, it's eternal. You just get kind of burned up and, you know, you flatline, you're not conscious, but... 
the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown alive into the lake of fire. And then when the white throne judgment comes, others are thrown into the lake of fire. In Matthew 25, Jesus said it was not supposed to be like this, that the lake of fire was prepared for Satan and, and the third that rebelled. But mankind chose this position in, and I just read to you all the scriptures, you know, um, Trust me, I've been to hospitals, I've done deathbed conversions, uh, talked to people in their ears while they were uh, in a coma. God gives every human being every chance at coming to Christ. Yeah, I can tell you there are bona fide visions and dreams in Iran, and they even jam Christian radio. Like you can't, on the internet, big tech loves to go along with the dictators and the fascists in China and North Korea and Iran. Sure, we won't let them see those things. Big tech is disgusting to me, but that's my own personal peeve. Um, they become global oligarchs. The point is that, that uh, Iranians are waking up and getting to Americans and missionaries. They're waking up. They had dreams about this Jesus who looks like them, right? And they, they go from village to village wondering where the Christians are. People are coming to Christ in Iran, North Korea. They suffer horribly for being Christians there. China has a state church. China, China does very good things with window dressing, right? The church, but those pastors are told, if you want to build a nice church and you don't want us to bother you, don't talk about the second coming. This is a fact. Don't talk about the deity of Jesus. He's not really God. Don't talk about Jesus returning. Just tone it down because we want our people to worship the Communist Party. That's a fact. So... God gives every single person on the planet a chance before they pass to receive Jesus. And I've, I've seen some amazing things. I've been involved in some amazing things. And I'm going to tell you, they're nothing short of miracles. So I just want to give you that side of it. Nobody has to go here. Nobody. You know, any, any preacher who gets joy in talking about hell has the wrong heart. Because we don't want anybody going there. It could have been me. If I kept resisting and resisting, and I might not be here today. So I think about my own soul, that God was merciful to me, and I want him to be merciful to everyone. And God loves the unsaved more than I could ever consider. Okay. So four out of four is, if you're in Christ, this doesn't become a concern for you. And I say that, will people get saved in this tribulation period? Yes. But that's the second bus. Last time I taught this type of message, I said, take the first bus. It's a lot better. Don't wait for the second bus. It's miserable. <laughs> so I want to just encourage anybody here who's watching online or in this place is that God wants you on his side. He loves you so much that in your rebellion and in my rebellion, he still died for your sins. doesn't matter what you do, what you did. He took bore those sins on the cross in his first coming. That's why he came here. So I just want to encourage you with that. Um, I was in darkness. I was in, in some of these weird groups like ZPG. I was convinced before I was a Christian that there was too many people on the planet. ZPG is, I know it's funny, right? I'm, I'm a traitor to the people that I'm talking to you about. I actually was, I shouldn't say too much. My wife's like, cut it off, you know. Um, I was involved in Dianetics before it was Scientology. It's a secular humanist religion. There's no God. You're your own God. L. Ron Hubbard. I went to New York City to go to their, their, their headquarters. I was on the inside. 
I am a traitor to these people. So when I talk about global oligarchs and I talk about population control, I was in groups that believed this stuff. And then the Lord saved me. So it's kind of neat. I was in both worlds. And I can look back and say, no, this stuff isn't conspiracy theories. This, these powerful people want to control the population. They want to control us, right? Because think about this, folks. How does the world follow some stupid antichrist dictator fascist? How do we get from here to there? The, the earth, including the Western countries, have to be conditioned to be weakened to go along with this. And, and it's going to happen through the global movement. Are there some good things globalists do? Sure there are. But this is the platform to how they're going to get there. How do you think this stuff happens? We wake up one day and there's some dude that tells all Americans, you have to follow me now. It doesn't happen like that. It's a slow process. So I just want to encourage you because God knows the end from the beginning. Jesus died for your sins. Take the first bus. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.